Our scripture passage is taken from portions of Proverbs chapters 1, 3, 8, 22, and 29. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our God, you tell us that to fear you is wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And you tell us that we have every opportunity to lean upon you and not trust in ourselves. And may that be the case today. Amen. Uh, As Chevy mentioned earlier, uh, because every Sunday over the next several weeks is going to be a compilation of readings throughout Proverbs, uh, we'll provide uh, a handout with the scripture reading on it. And the flip side of that handout will be study questions for you personally or for for you as a couple or as a family or for you as a community group. Uh, We have some printouts in the back, but uh, you should have received an email. If you need need that printout and you're not on our email list, just let us know and we'd be happy to get that to you. Let me start by saying this, and, and I'll probably keep reminding you of it. I am not a parenting expert. Don't believe that for a second. Uh, Becky and I have six children, ages 23 down to seven. I am still not, after all of that, a parenting expert. I never will be. And, and, and here's the truth of it. There's no such thing. A parenting expert does not exist under the sun. Now, thankfully, we have child psychologists, and, and we have behavioral therapists, and We have pediatricians, and uh, thank the Lord for all of that, but a parenting expert does not exist, and you probably know why, some of you. Every child is different, right? Every teenager, every budding adult is uniquely different in, in personality and temperament, in their birth order. That impacts a tremendous deal. Their experience, their environment, your situation at the time. 
And so as a parent or a grandparent or a guardian or a teacher or a disciple maker, we'll never solve every problem that a child or a student or a grandchild has, nor should we try. Parents need wisdom. Children need wise parents. And so our study into the book of Proverbs begins with these words, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Proverbs chapter one, the first three verses. And we are told that this is what they are for, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Uh, now, why, why are we focusing on parenting as we study the Proverbs for the next several weeks? Why particularly parenting? Because let's be obvious, not all of you are parenting right now. Not all of you are, are raising children right now, or not everybody is, is a parent in this room. But here's the deal, and here's why. The church needs wisdom to know how to disciple the next generation. It is a responsibility for the entire church to pray about and be concerned for and encourage the development, the discipleship of the next generation. In the scriptures, this is not a single parenting responsibility. What I mean to say, in the scriptures, this is not a parent's sole responsibility. It is the responsibility of the community of faith. It is the responsibility of the covenant community of faith to nurture the next generation. So, I am not an expert in parenting. I'll try and remind you of that every single Sunday. If I forget to, just talk to Becky and my kids and they will tell you gladly that I am not an expert in parenting. Um, uh, what I am is I'm just another parent begging for guidance and wisdom. I am one tired, exhausted, confused parent. Uh, loving, loving parent, uh, trying to walk alongside of others as we seek God's wisdom together. And so this series is, it, it's, it's intended to be comprehensive but not exhaustive, like, like auto insurance, okay? Like comprehensive insurance covers most things but not everything, and that's gonna be this series. We're gonna cover most of what's important. We're gonna try and hit the major themes and topics in the book of Proverbs and apply them to parenting and raising up the next generation, but we're not gonna cover everything. Uh, comprehensive, not exhaustive. And here's where we're gonna begin with the theme that the beginning of good parenting is seeking wisdom above all other worldly benefits. The beginning of good parenting is praying for, searching for, cultivating, and seeking wisdom for yourself and for your children more than anything else this world has to offer for your kids. And so today we're going to be we're, we're going to we're going to dive into the deep end in the book of Proverbs and just try and do an overview on what wisdom is. And then throughout the next several weeks we'll apply wisdom to different aspects of parenting and discipling the next generation. So today we're going to try and understand wisdom from the ancient Hebrew perspective what it is. And then we're going to try and understand what it means to seek wisdom, not just to understand what it is but to seek after it, to hunger for it to search for it, 
as the greatest prize of all. And finally, we're going to talk about how you can even know wisdom like you know a person. Yeah, not just an abstract concept like good advice or, or philosophical principles, but you can know person, you can, <laughs> you can know wisdom like you know a person. So understanding it, seeking it, and knowing wisdom itself. Okay, uh, buckle up. Understanding wisdom is the guiding principle of the book of Proverbs. What is it? What is wisdom? So different Old Testament scholars have helpful definitions of how the ancient Hebrews understood wisdom. Leland Riken describes it this way. He says, wisdom is skill for living. When you read through the Proverbs and you hear the Proverbs discuss wisdom, it is skill for living. One of my Old Testament professors in seminary, Doug Stewart, described wisdom this way, the ability to make the right choice. And I think if you summarize those two helpful definitions, you may get something like this. Wisdom is skill for making good choices in life. Skill for making the right choices in life. But the key to biblical wisdom is its association with the Bible's God. It's not generic wisdom. It's not simply wisdom that has been observed by human beings and cultivated by them and dispensed and collected by them. It is that, but it's more than that. The fear of the Lord, we are told in chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, if you look at chapter 9, verse 10, it just changes knowledge with wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Psalms say that. Job says that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in and, and the beginning, it doesn't mean the first stage. Like if you're trying to get your black belt, you start with your white belt, and then you're yellow, and you're green, and you're purple, and you're red. At least that's the way it is in Taekwondo. And, and you're like, you're, you're, you gotta, once you get past the yellow belt, well, you've, you're done with that stage, that phase, and you move on to a more advanced phase. That's not what the fear of the Lord is. The beginning of wisdom is, is as scholar Derek Kidner wrote in his really helpful commentary on the Proverbs, he says, the beginning of this is its first guiding principle, like the thing you shouldn't forget the whole time. From white belt to black belt, and then every degree of black belt after, you never forget the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning and the end of wisdom. Putting God first, that's really what the fear of the Lord is. Putting God first is the beginning and the end of wisdom. Now, you may be, some of you may be saying, well, hold on, aren't there plenty of people in the world from all different religions, even atheists, who in some sense are, are wise, right? Who can put their, you know, tie their shoes and go to work and make amazing discoveries like penicillin and, 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 and construct suspension bridges and get people to the moon. Like, like it, just religious people are not wise, right? It's not just like Christians or people who read the Bible are wise. So, so what is going on here? Well, that is a great question to ask. And you know what? Wisdom is not just for religious people, and it's certainly not just for Christians. Uh, but the Proverbs were talking about a particular type of wisdom. So, for instance, you might remember in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit, 
and, and, and you know, the serpent is tempting them and, and they're looking at the tree, they're sizing it up, trying to decide whether they want to do this or not. And, and it's, it's easy to miss, but as they're looking at the tree and they're looking at how desirable the fruit is, they also notice, Genesis 3, verse 6, they notice that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And isn't that what the serpent said to them? God's holding out on you. He's not telling you everything. So it's not that humanity has rejected wisdom. Humanity has rejected God. And so in humanity's pursuit, in its age-long pursuit, uh, age-old pursuit of wisdom, it, it has come up short. It has always come up short. The philosophers, the ancient Greeks, in their pursuit of wisdom up to this very day, it's this ongoing dialogue, this ongoing discourse and conversation, and it always leaves us with more questions, but no answers. Uh, and that is because, as humanity, we have not just rejected wisdom, we have rejected God in our pursuit of it. So wisdom will, will be helpful, but it will always fall short apart from God. That is what the Bible is trying to communicate. Now, a better way, I think, of summing up what wisdom is, having said all of this, is, is, is that wisdom is skill for making good choices that glorify God. That's what wisdom is. What does wisdom do? We find out in chapter one, verse four, wisdom gives prudence to the simple. Prudence means shrewdness or, uh, or sharpness, craftiness, kind of a street intelligence. Prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Okay, so we're going to see several characters come up in the book of Proverbs. We're going to get to know each of these characters well throughout the next two months. And the first character I want to introduce you to is the simple person. Not simple as we would, would think. The Hebrew word for simple here, the simple that we're seeing in Proverbs is someone who is inexperienced, someone who is impressionable, someone who could go either way in life. They're open-minded in the sense that they are going to hear and listen to the first attractive thing that they see. They're easily influenced. One scholar says simple means gullible. Listen, children, and you know this, children are vulnerable. Because just like Pinocchio, they have the combination of curiosity and inexperience. That is what it means to be a child. To be curious and to be inexperienced. And that is a dangerous combination if a child lacks guidance. So wisdom helps a child learn to reject foolishness. Uh, and, and let's be realistic, at least to temper foolishness. Wisdom helps a child learn to reject what is foolish in the world. So in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15, we are told that folly, foolishness, is bound up in the heart of the child. It's not just a behavioral thing. It gets into the core of a child's being. It is in their soul. Folly is bound up in their heart. I want to introduce you now to the fool, the next character. And don't think court jester or stand-up comedian, right? Don't, don't think Michael Scott or Mr. Bean. Not, not that kind of a fool. According to the Hebrew scriptures, a fool is someone who lacks understanding. 
Let's be more specific. A fool is somebody who refuses correction. A fool is somebody who is stubborn. A fool is somebody who is unteachable. So, good parenting helps children learn to choose rightly between wisdom and foolishness. Those are the choices. And good parenting helps a child learn to make a good choice when they have both options before them. So, in chapter 29, verse 17, the Proverbs tell us, discipline your children. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Kids, I hope you're listening to this. Really good insider knowledge for the next nine weeks. It's not that the Proverbs are absolute promises. They're not promises. Don't think that if you follow the Proverbs exactly, you will get something at the end of the child's adolescence that will look beautiful and perfect and everything you ever want it to be. Parenting isn't an assembly line where if you put in the right ingredients and nuts and bolts, you'll get the finished product just like the blueprint says. Proverbs are not promises and they're not equations for success. They are general observations about the way things are. That's what they are. General observations about the way the world works, the way a fallen world works. And they don't guarantee blessings, but it would be foolish to ignore them. Does that make sense? They're not promising you a great outcome, but you would be foolish as a parent to not pay attention to the Proverbs. Now, I hope you're asking the question, and you probably have been asking this question for months and maybe for years. Or if, if your children are grown and out of the house, you may be looking back on how you know, the decisions you made as a caregiver or a parent, or maybe if you are well-seasoned as an educator or a disciple-maker, you're looking back on para, uh, past experiences, trying to gain insight on what went wrong with somebody or, or why something went so well with a child or, or with a student. And that, that, that's why I thought this would be a good series for all of us. The question is, how do we raise children who can choose well between folly and wisdom in today's society? Right? Living in 21st century America, how can we help children right now choose well between foolishness and wisdom? That's our task as a church. That is our task as, uh, as, as, as uh, married couples or parents or, or even, even educators if you believe that your vocation is in education or discipling and training the next generation. How do you help children choose between wisdom and foolishness? By seeking wisdom yourself. You have to have wisdom to give wisdom. This all starts with you and me. Proverbs chapter 3, we learn, trust in the Lord, this, this famous uh, passage, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. The best thing you can do for your children is to be right with God yourself. All the things you want for them, all the things you're trying to work out for them, the best thing you can do for them, what they absolutely need the most is for you to be right with God. 
because they will catch that more than anything you speak to them and try and teach them. They will catch whether or not you are right with your creator. Just like Solomon asked for wisdom when he became a young king, you and I need wisdom to parent well. We need wisdom to teach. We need wisdom to disciple. Did you catch in Proverbs chapter 8? Actually, when you get a chance, read all of Proverbs chapter 8 this week. It's beautiful. And it really gets at the heart of what the book of Proverbs is trying to communicate. In Proverbs 8, uh, wisdom is personified like a person. Wisdom is personified as a woman calling out, inviting us to receive what she can offer to us. And so Proverbs 8 tells us, does not wisdom call? And later on, wisdom personified speaks to us and says, oh, simple ones, learn prudence. Oh, fools, learn sense. She says, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Did you hear that? There is nothing you want for your children that is more precious on earth than wisdom. You want to be a good parent? Begin here. Seek and cherish godly wisdom above anything else that the world offers to your kids. Good parenting is mostly concerned with character, not credentials. And we'll keep coming back to this concept. Credentials are important. You need your driver's license. You need a degree. You need certification. Uh, You need training. You need to learn how to tie your shoes. Uh, Yeah, all of that. Sure, sure. But good parenting is constantly concerned with developing character more than it cares about developing credentials. Our culture will never tell you that because we are consumer-based and performance-based. But we have to prize character above credentials as parents. And good parenting is an all-out war. Now, it's a patient one and a loving one and a gentle one. But good parenting is an all-out war against unchecked foolishness. If our kids don't learn that foolishness has natural consequences, they will remain fools. Doesn't matter how successful they become, how wealthy or powerful or popular they become when they grow up, they will remain wealthy, attractive, accomplished, educated, powerful fools. Washington is full of them. The world is full of them. The celebrity culture is full of powerful, intelligent, beautiful, influential fools. And I don't mean that disrespectfully because according to Proverbs, a fool is someone who will not heed correction and instruction according to what glorifies God. Okay. If Christians are to be salt and light, as Jesus has said his disciples should be, then our parenting must also be salt and light. Not not tirades against our neighbors and everybody in the school system and everybody on social media who does things differently. Our parenting needs to be salt and light. Our parenting needs to be noticeable in the neighborhood. Our parenting 
when people look at our kids, should be salt and light and say, well, what is different about that individual and how she parents her children? What is different, what is different about that family's culture that just feels like salt and light in our society? I want to talk about a, 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 a phrase just coined just a couple of years ago, uh, an article in, in the Atlantic magazine uh, uh, coined the expression, the term intensive parenting. And, and so the, the author uh, uh, defines what he means by intensive parenting, where mother, whereby mothers and fathers overextend their time and money, curating their child's life in hopes of maximizing the child's future success. Now, the author, and I, I, I don't know anything about this author, it's a secular article, the author is saying this is not a good thing, but it is the predominant parenting model in the United States. Did you hear that? The author is saying this is not a good thing, but most American parents think it is. I remember when I was a new parent and our oldest child was about... Uh, about four months old. Like, old enough that you can put the baby in the tub and just like put an inch or two of water and just let them splash around. You know what I'm talking about, right? So maybe four, four months old. Becky's not in here, so I, I'm not sure she would know. Um, but I remember, so our oldest child is, is I, four months old. And, 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 I'm, and I'm looking at this baby just with pure delight, just pure joy watching them splash around in the tub. And I'm not kidding you, the thought crept into my mind, she has good form. And I swear to you, I said to myself, could she be an Olympic swimmer someday? <laughs> Tell me you have not thought things like that. Like, you're, like, like, oh wow, look at the way my kid rides a bike. Or wow, what a, what a, what a witty, clever little thing that my boy just said. Oh, what, oh maybe, right? And, but four months old, and I'm thinking Olympics. She did not turn out to be an Olympic swimmer, but she is wonderful. Um, but the, the, the reason I'm mentioning that is, is because that is how parents naturally think. You know, what can I provide for my children that will put them ahead of the rest? How can I navigate my students so that our school's test scores will attract more people to move into our area? And we must reject that way of thinking. Uh, another author gives a really helpful comparison for, for parenting, and, and she compares carpentry versus gardening. Two wonderful pursuits, carpentry and gardening. And, and she says, where intensive parenting are carpenters hammering children into a particular shape one stroke at a time, gardening parents pour their labor into creating preconditions of, listen to this, preconditions of love, safety, and stability for their kids to grow in potentially unpredictable ways. Are we hearing that? So carpentry requires sheer will. Carpentry requires the willful manipulation of materials so that you can build 
and craft exactly what your mind desires to make. You, you have to bend and break the materials of nature to make a rocking chair that works, to make a space shuttle that breaks the atmosphere. We all understand that. Willful manipulation of materials and resources. Guarding is a different type of a discipline, isn't it? Guarding requires long patience, does it not? Patience and waiting and waiting and waiting. And at the right moment, it requires decisive action. Decisive action at the right moment after a whole lot of waiting and cultivating in an environment that you cannot control. You can't fight with nature. And so you have to be patient when you garden and you have to be decisive at the right moment. Okay, so listen, be careful. We all have to be careful as, as parents and, and as caregivers. And, and if you're leading young people and those who are impressionable and have a ton of potential but are naive or gullible or ignorant about the way of the world. We have to be so careful. Your child, your student, your grandchild is an image bearer of Almighty God. We have to hear that. Your child is an image bearer of Almighty God. What if Jesus Christ died for her? What if, as Romans chapter 8 tells us, what if God the Father from before time itself predestined your child to be transformed, to be conformed into the image of, not you, his son, Jesus Christ? What are you doing? We have to ask ourselves that question as parents. What am I doing? Am I trying to hammer my child into what I want to make? And what is God's perspective on that? I think it's something like this. How dare you? How dare you try to hammer and mold this person into something you want? This human being that I have created in my own image, this human being that I have sent my son to die for, how dare you mold them into something that you want? Stop hammering away. Stop measuring and drafting up blueprints for their behavior and their friends and their spouses and their career choices and their personality and their hobbies. Stop. And begin to sow seeds. Sow seeds of wisdom, of character. Sow seeds of gospel comprehension. Help your children be ready someday to respond to the grace of God. That's between God and them, how they respond. But how they hear it and how they see it modeled in your life, that's up to you. Dig deep. Enrich good soil. Character. Water them. Prune, tend to the weeds, you got to tend to the weeds. But provide a healthy environment for them to grow as God intends them to grow. And that's really what this series is going to be all about. We'll apply that concept to various areas of life. You know, the Bible actually promises that more than seeking wisdom, 
you can actually know wisdom. I mean know it deeply. Know wisdom like you know your spouse. Know wisdom like you know your own child. Know wisdom like you know your best friend. The Bible promises that if you seek and search after wisdom, like you prize it more than anything else that this world has to offer, you will not only have it, you will know it intimately. Because the Bible's God not only points us to wisdom, but the Bible's God calls himself wisdom. Back to Proverbs chapter 8, where wisdom is speaking in the first person says of herself, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. And wisdom tells us, then at creation, then I was beside him like a master workman and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. Wisdom is not just a concept that God dispenses to us. Wisdom is described here as the very force of God's creative power and planning. And so when you look at the New Testament and you look at the Christian message, the highlight of it, as as said in Hebrews chapter 1, is that Jesus Christ was the word of God's power, present with him in the creation of all things. And Colossians chapter one actually says that by Jesus, all things were made, all things are upheld and sustained by him, the living word. And so Proverbs chapter eight goes on to tell us, blessed is the one who listens to me. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. If you are skeptical that the Bible has something valuable to say to you, if you are skeptical that Jesus, above all wise sages in history, is just like the rest of them, and if you're asking yourself, what's so compelling and special about the Proverbs in the Bible? I mean, all advanced ancient civilizations had Proverbs. From Lao Tzu and Confucius to the ancient Egyptians, all over the world, accomplished people have said very wise things. And, and, and so many of them sound like the Proverbs in the Bible. So what's so special about these Proverbs? I'm glad you asked. These Proverbs tell us that wisdom is underwritten by God. What I mean is, these Proverbs tell us that wisdom is guaranteed by God even when we act foolishly. When humanity fails, when humanity fails, one and all, every single one of you, myself included, humanity from Adam and Eve, throughout history and continuing until the end of history, when humanity fails and has and will, there is a person who embodies pure wisdom. There is someone who is wise, who knows your children better than you do. There is someone who is powerful, who can direct the events of your child's life even when you make mistakes to hurt them. 
There is a God who says that he brings the fatherless into families. There is not only a powerful and a wise God, but a merciful, kind God who can even cover a multitude of our sins as parents. I'm looking out at all of you, and I know at least half of your stories. And if you knew one another's stories, it is a miracle of the grace of God that so many people in this room are following Jesus today. When you just look at how their parents influenced them and now they are being a positive impact on their olden children and for them and their parenting, the cycle of destruction has stopped. Not perfect, but solid. Cultivating character instead of credentials. This is a God who calls himself wisdom, who underwrites the promise and says, when you fail to be wise, I will not. And Jesus, who is known in John chapter 1 as the Word made flesh. Wisdom itself. You know, the Greek word logos for the Word in John chapter 1 is the very Greek word that the philosophers would use to describe the point of the universe, the meaning of life itself. And then we discover that the Word was with God and the Word was God in the very beginning. And the Word became flesh and made a tent among us. And we're told later in John's Gospel in chapter 14, Jesus said to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. And then we hearken back to Proverbs chapter 8 saying, all who find me find life. Long before the Mandalorian was saying, this is the way, Jesus has said, I am the way. Wisdom is a person. And that's why the Proverbs of the Bible far outshine anything else human civilization has ever created. So this God's wisdom for all who cherish him, his son, this wisdom not only instructs this Wisdom saves. And so that is our guarantee, and that is our healing, and that is our hope when we fail as parents. God has not failed. God will not fail. God did not fail as a parent. But for his son to achieve what he was called to be, God had to give him up, and his son had to suffer, and you will have to give your children up, and your children will have to suffer if they are to become wise. And that, a God who underwrites and guarantees wisdom even when parents fail, that is our mercy from him and that is our mercy to one another. Because it is so tempting to judge one another's parenting choices and parenting styles and to judge your spouse for how they're handling the kids or how they're handling the grandkids or how they're handling your grown children who are still your kids. Our mercy to one another is that God has been merciful to us and he has been the perfect parent. And so let's have grace and patience for one another with our choices. The beginning of good parenting is an appreciation for wisdom Seeking it, wanting it for yourself, wanting it for your children above all the world has to offer. So understand wisdom. 
Seek wisdom more than any treasure the world provides for your kids. And know wisdom. You can know Jesus, the wisdom of God himself, above anything else the world offers. There, there is no greater treasure on earth that we could possibly desire for the next generation. So let's explore the book of Proverbs together and we'll see where the Holy Spirit takes us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would speak your truth to us. Lord, we ask that we would have ears to hear, that we would have eyes to see what you are saying. As Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, Father, help us to avoid foolishness as though we are building the foundation of our parenting and our households on sand. May we hear the words of Jesus and obey them. May we find life in the words of Jesus, the wisdom sent from on high. May we be like the wise builder who built his house on the rock. Father, help us build foundations of grace and wisdom in our parenting and discipleship of the next generation. Amen.